Good morning to you. Merry Christmas. For the past few Sundays, we have been in Matthew 2, re-examining the story of the Magi. Now, last week, we were looking at nine wise ways to worship Jesus this Christmas based on this text. So if you would please turn with me in the Word of God to Matthew chapter 2. And if you don't have a copy of Scripture, you're welcome to use one of ours. If you reach out into the Blue Pew Bible in the seat back in front of you, you should find on page 1026, Matthew chapter 2. As we turn in the Word of the Lord, let's turn to the Lord of that Word in prayer. Father, we invite you this Christmas to speak to us through a familiar story, a story that we've heard many times. We've heard children read it to us. Uh, Lord, we've sung about it in our carols, and we pray that tonight you would help us in our time together, that we would uh, learn and grow and perhaps discover new truths that we did not know, that we would see nuances of truth that we have grown cold towards, that you would reignite the pilot light, that we would worship you wisely, that we would worship you in a way that brings you great joy on this great day when we think of your great son. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The Word of God says in Matthew chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Remember, Herod was an idiomian. He wasn't a real king. He was given that title by the Romans, and so he needed to search the Hebrew scriptures, being an idiomian, where the Christ should be born. And so the chief priests and the teachers of the law, verse 5, they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, so it is written by the prophets and here is the verse and you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah and from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel and so then Herod summoned those wise men secretly and ascertained from them the time when the star had appeared when they began their long thousand mile journey from Persia and he sent them to Bethlehem saying well we'll go and search diligently for the child and when you've found him we'll bring him Word to me, so that I too may worship him. But that was a lie, wasn't it? He wanted to destroy this possible uh, usurper to his throne. And so after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen, well, it rose, and it went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother and they fell down and they worshipped him and then opening their their treasures they offered him gifts gold and frankincense and myrrh and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod they departed to their own country by another way now when they had departed behold an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Rise, and take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child and to destroy him. And he rose 
And he took the child Jesus and his mother Mary by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. And then Herod, when he saw that he'd been tricked by the wise men, he became furious and he sent and he killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in that region who were two years old and under according to the time that had been ascertained by those wise men. And then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Now last week when we looked at nine wise ways to worship Jesus, we got about halfway through and we looked at the first four ways. They're in your outline. They're in your bulletin today. The first thing we saw is that wise people seek and uh, they seek after Jesus and they encourage others to do the same. The, the wise men went all around Jerusalem. It's in the continuous form in the Greek. They were continuously asking, where is Jesus? Where is this king who's been born? And, and so not only were they searching, but they were uh, implicitly inviting others in their enthusiasm to search for Jesus. Number two, we must intentionally take the time to worship Jesus. They left. It was a many-month journey all the way from Persia to Jerusalem. About a thousand miles they had to travel. And, and so they invested the time to go and worship Jesus. Number three, we must not be ashamed to share our adoration of Jesus even with those who might be threatened by it. And, and if there was any man in the world who was threatened by the birth of a baby king to the Jews, it would be the quote-unquote king, Herod, who was no king and wasn't supposed to be over the Jews. And number four, we pursue God's glory by following God's revelation as we seek to worship Jesus Christ. The, the magi, stargazers, followed the star. That was the revelation God gave them. But you and I don't follow stars, we follow Scripture. And it is a much brighter, clearer, and more helpful guide. Indeed, it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training us that we can be thoroughly equipped for every good work God has prepared in advance. For us to do so this brings us today to point five on your outline the first point of our message this christmas we must marvel in the fact that god directs us to himself don't miss this we must marvel in the fact that god directs us to himself. God sent his son. God is speaking to us. God has built our culture where the whole culture stops at Christmas. It might be the only time left. Easter's kind of been squeezed away. It's kind of funny. It's about a bunny. There is no cross. But Christmas still is allowed to be put forth. And so we must marvel in the fact that God directs us to himself he doesn't have to he's god he doesn't need us he doesn't need anything that human hands could provide and yet he continuously lovingly intentionally invites us and woos us directs us onto jesus i want you to look at verse 10 this is where we see this in our text today when they saw they saw the star they marveled that god was directing them to jesus when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Now, if you read this in the original Greek, Matthew takes great pains. The Holy Spirit has him use 
four different Greek words to express what you could say in one word. It just blows up in the original Greek. Uh, the ESV tries to translate those four Greek words that, that, that explode on the page with, I think, five of their own. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Let me see if we can try and package that to today. When the Magi saw the star reappear, they had the kind of reaction people have when the publisher's clearinghouse prize patrol truck rings their doorbell and there's the oversized life-changing check. Uh, they had the, the, kind, the Magi had the kind of reaction when a, a young lady has her suitor drop to one knee and open a box and there's three carrots in it. Uh, the Magi had the kind of reaction our kids have when we first take them to Chuck E. Cheese. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. When we worship Jesus, is that what we do? Sadly, sometimes some saints seem distracted in worship, disinterested in worship, from really honest, maybe bored in worship of Jesus. Friends, it is easy for us to be callous instead of joyous in our singing, but that's hardly worship, amen? Friends, 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, God loves a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver, not a dutiful giver, a cheerful giver. 1 Peter 5, 2 urges us to serve Jesus, how? Uh, willingly, eagerly, not under compulsion because we have to, but because we want to, that's worship. In Revelation chapter 2, God called out the church in Ephesus. And though they toiled for him, though they endured for him, though they had their doctrine right, and they kept all those who had it wrong from entering into their pulpits and sharing it, they did all of that right. And Jesus said to those otherwise very faithful folks at Ephesus, Jesus said, I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember from where you have fallen. Repent. And do that which you did at first. Friends, we must never let familiarity breed contempt when it comes to Christ. Instead, we must always struggle, if need be, to marvel in the fact that God directs us. Who am I that the King of glory would invite me to come to the throne of grace every day, every time, every minute? Let these words wash over you anew today. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would He devote that sacred head for sinners such as I? Was it for crimes that I have done that He groaned upon the tree? Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. Friends, when is the last time you had a magi moment in your worship? When is the last time you marveled at God directing you to himself through Jesus Christ? Now, if you're really honest, and it's been a while since you've rejoiced exceedingly with great joy at the person and the promises of Jesus, then I want to encourage you in the next 72 hours to do that this Christmas. Today is the day the Lord has made. 
Now, friends, there are two basic barriers to our being enraptured in worship for Jesus. And those barriers are ourselves and outside distractions. We have internal and external barriers that hinder our worship. And that brings us to point six on our outlines today. If we want to be wise in our worship of Jesus, then we must humble ourselves and esteem the Lord. And we must be careful not to worship any other entity. We must humble ourselves and esteem the Lord and be very careful that we don't, we don't worship any other entity. So, so firstly, we hinder our worship when we struggle to humble ourselves. But worship involves admitting that God is God and we are not. That God is worthy and we are not. The, the sacrifice of our will for the elevation of God's will, well, that is the essence of biblical worship. This is clear in passages like Romans 12. Romans 12, 1 says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. It is the, the sacrifice of our agenda and our desire for God's agenda and God's desire. Now, here's the trouble with living sacrifices. We tend to crawl off the altar after a while, don't we? We, we sort of uh, slither away from bringing glory to our Savior and, 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 we, and we steer ourselves towards something lesser. Living sacrifices are hard to keep on the altar. But, but that is the wisdom of the very next verse. It's the command of the very next verse, Romans 12, 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't do what's going to come natural. Do what comes supernatural. Don't do what the world is squeezing you to make yourself first or something else first, but do what God wants, which is to put God first. Now, as hard as it is to overcome the flesh and, and to push ourselves off the throne that we gave to Christ alone, our struggle is not just with the sin within, it's with the world without. The world and the devil will do everything to put anything and everything but Jesus on the throne of our hearts. Amen? Anything can become an idol to contend with. If we won't arrogantly seat ourselves on Christ's throne... We often ignorantly seat something else on Christ's throne. Uh, we can put our careers ahead of our Christ. We can put our kids ahead of Christ. You know, soccer and, and, uh, and, and ballet and, and, and uh, getting straight A's can, can lead us to not be together in worship. There's many things that can take us away. Uh, we can allow the pursuit of our addictions or even our all wallowing in our own afflictions. You know, it's easy to look at the person who's struggling in addiction and go, oh, look, the Jesus isn't at the center, this thing is. But there are folks that, that, that are struggling and, and, and they're wallowing and, and they're so uh, fixated on their oppression and depression and, 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 and anxiety that, that Christ is crowded out. It's not just this guy, it's this guy, and ultimately it's, it's this guy. We all struggle to put Jesus first. Good things, Bad things, 
anything that we put at the center of our attention dethrones Christ in our devotion. And for some, it's going to be something good, but something lesser than Jesus. Many folks pursue devotion to Mary. Mary is highly favored in Scripture by God. Mary is a noble woman. Mary is worthy of esteem, but is she worthy of worship? Not according to God's Word. The wise men came to Jesus, and who were there? Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus. And according to the Word of God, in Matthew 2.11, who does the Bible tell us the wise men worshipped? And going into the house, verse 11, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and they worshipped Him. The Bible says the Magi worshipped him. Now, in the Greek, it says they worship the masculine singular pronoun autos. Now, any first-year Greek student can tell you that all Greek pronouns must match their antecedent in person and in number. And so the words associated with Mary, well, those are feminine words, but those associated with the child Jesus were masculine words, and they're not plural, they're singular. And that means without a shadow of a doubt, we know conclusively, unequivocally, according to the least stroke of the pen that's inspired by the Spirit of God, the Magi bowed down not to worship mother and child, but to worship just Jesus alone. They bowed down, and they worshiped Him. Mary may be noble, and indeed highly favored, but she's not worthy of worship, friends. And what is true of Mary is true of the angels. Uh, Hebrews and Psalms tell us that the angels were created of a higher order than man and woman. But over and over and over again, the Bible teaches that we are not to worship those angels. Every time some misguided saint does that, the angel immediately tells him to stop because we are to worship God alone. Remember, idolatry is not substituting the worship of something bad for something good. Idolatry is substituting anything for the worship of the one true God. Satan's subtle. He can get good things to crowd out the best things, and it's still idolatry. And so we must humble ourselves, we must esteem the Lord Jesus, and we must be careful that we are not inadvertently, unintentionally throning someone, something else in our lives. Now the Word of, of God is, is spiritual gold. And it is so exhaustible a mine of spiritual gold that we're going to see there's at least two other truths from this skinny verse. Verse 11 has three truths that we're going to find principles from. The Word of God is inexhaustible. And so I want you to look at verse 11. Because it's from verse 11, we're also going to see point seven. Point seven. If we're going to worship Jesus wisely, then we must worship Jesus sacrificially. If we're going to worship Jesus wisely, then we must worship Jesus sacrificially. The Bible says, and going down into the house, verse 11, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and they worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures... They offered him gifts of gold, of frankincense, and of myrrh. Now the items the Magi brought were expensive. Gold was the gold standard of gifts in the ancient world. Now frankincense was one of the most expensive forms of perfume, of incense uh, that you could buy. 
It was only used in very limited quantities because of its great expense. You only used it the most special of occasions, and many times only the very rich could afford to get their hands on it at all. Myrrh was also an expensive perfume. It was not as expensive as frankincense, but it wasn't found on the bargain shelf at Big Lots either. The Bible not only points out the, the specific and lavish nature of their gifts, but the Bible even talks about the containers they came in. The ESV says opening their treasures, but when you read it in the Greek, the word treasure means treasure chest or, or treasure box. And so I want you to understand the sacrifice because it's layered in levels in our story. Don't miss it. They traveled a great distance, a thousand miles, many months by camel. They sacrificed their time and their comfort. The Magi then meet Jesus, and they say that it says they bowed down. Literally in the Greek, they fell down to do reverence before Jesus. So they sacrificed their dignity. They were kingmakers bowing before an infant of a couple that everyone else thought was a no one. And then the Magi, they opened their treasure chests, and they offered some of the most lavish gifts the world possessed. And so like it or not, a pivotal part of our worship is our cheerful and sacrificial giving to the Lord in his work in the world. Friends, you need to understand giving is worship. The wise men invested their best in the worship of Jesus. And so must me. God, God doesn't move us to sacrifice to make life hard on us. God uses what he prompts from us so that he can bless others to his glory somewhere else. 2 Corinthians 8 makes this really clear. 2 Corinthians 8, you might want to write in Matthew 2, next to verse 11. 2 Corinthians 8, 13 through 15 in the NIV, that's what I memorized it in, so I'm going to go with that. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much didn't have too much, and, and he who gathered little didn't have too little. The Magi's generous, sacrificial gifts were put to good use. They didn't sacrificially give these special gifts so Jesus could have a solid gold crib and frankincense-scented diapers. The story makes no mention of that. This isn't Elvis's Christmas. No, God had a kingdom purpose for those kingdom sacrifices. In just a few verses, Jesus and his parents will have to flee for their lives. They'll have to leave their home and their job and their family and run to a foreign country. They'll have to run to Egypt to escape the maniacal wrath of Herod. And the question comes up, so how did this family finance an unexpected expenditure? How did they secure lodging in a foreign country for so long? How did they put food on the table to keep baby Jesus alive when work had to be hard to come by as, as a foreigner, as a refugee? And scripture's answer seems to be that God providentially provided through the gifts of the Magi. The gifts come, the flight begins. Joseph and Mary had some gold. They had some frankincense. They had some myrrh for which they could barter for food and for shelter and for all the other needs attendant with an emergency exodus until the death of Herod. And 
is how God still works today, friends. God calls each of us to worship Him, not just through our lips in praise and on our knees in prayer, but also through opening our wallets and sacrificially through our giving. God uses our sacrificial giving to build His kingdom. Just as Jesus' life was spared the generous gifts of the Magi, in like manner, our sacrificial giving allows the gospel of Christ to spare the eternal lives of people we won't meet until we get to heaven. Jesus commands us in Luke 16, 9, I tell you, use your worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed in eternal dwellings. He's saying invest your not-so-useful monetary means for eternal spiritual ends so that there would be other people in heaven that hear about Jesus. Now, just as there are various ways to worship, from openly marveling to to sacrificial giving, so too it is true, true that there are various facets of Jesus to worship in our story. And that brings us to point eight today. It's also found in verse 11. There's three points in one verse because the Bible is such an inexhaustible spiritual gold mine. And so if you look at your outlines, point eight today, we must worship all the marvelous facets of Jesus in his glory. We must worship all the marvelous facets of Jesus' glory. Verse 11, and going down to the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gifts of gold, of frankincense, and of myrrh. Now, friends, yes, God's going to use those material things to bless Jesus' parents when they they need to finance their escape. But I also want you to see that there was intentional symbolism in this choice of gifting. Uh, Throughout history, uh, gold has been considered the most precious of metals, and it's the universal symbol of material value and wealth storage. Gold was used extensively in the construction of God's temple. It was a symbol of nobility and a symbol of royalty going back to antiquity. If you went into anybody who was anybody's palace, he would hold a chalice and it was made of gold because he was the king. And so the gift of gold was befitting because of Jesus' royalty. He's the son of God and the king of kings. Since the Magi had come to worship Jesus as king, they brought a gift befitting a king. They brought gold. But, but they also came bearing frankincense. And frankincense was often referred to as the uh, uh, incense of deity. In the Old Testament, frankincense was, was stored in a special chamber in the front of the temple. And that frankincense was sprinkled on certain offerings as a symbol of the people's desire to please God Almighty. And, and so Jesus is not just a king gold, but, but he was God in the flesh. Jesus is our Emmanuel. What does that mean? Two of you mumbled it. Try again. What does it mean, Emmanuel? It means he's God with us. And so as such, providentially, God had the wise men bring gifts, gold befitting his royalty, frankincense befitting his deity, and one other gift. What was it? It was myrrh. And myrrh emphasized his humanity. Myrrh was used to prepare a body for burial in their day. 
It's the very same spice used when Jesus is laid to rest. In John 19.39, the Bible says, Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds of it, and taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with spices in strips of linen, and this was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. And so the Magi brought gold befitting Jesus' royalty, and frankincense befitting his deity, and myrrh befitting his humanity. Because only in Jesus... Do we find royalty, deity, and humanity residing in one body? Jesus is the only name under heaven by which we may be saved. Why? The Bible says, for he is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead that in everything Christ might be preeminent. For in Jesus all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Jesus to reconcile himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace through his blood on the cross. Colossians 2, 9 puts it very succinctly. In Christ the fullness of deity dwells bodily. As we worship Jesus, we must worship all the facets of Jesus' glory. I say this because in 2018, some worship Jesus just as their friend, forgetting he's also their Lord. And, and this will lead to an unbiblical casualness in our worship. But, but others fall off the horse the other way. Some worship Jesus as their sovereign master, but just as their sovereign master, and they forget he's also our brother. And so that will lead to a sort of cold, unbiblical detachment in our worship of Jesus. Our worship needs to be biblically balanced. We need to worship Jesus in light of the full counsel of Scripture. We need to worship Jesus in all the facets of his glory. And so now we come to number nine in our nine wise ways to worship Jesus this Christmas. Number nine is this. We must understand that sacrificial worship may involve going out of our way to worship Jesus. Sometimes sacrificial worship involves going out of our way to worship Jesus. I'll start at verse 10, but it's verse 12 I want to emphasize. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down, and they worshipped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, and here it is. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, who's sitting in Jerusalem, they departed to their own country, Persia, by another way. Their decision to go back a different way, a different route, that was a massively inconvenient decision. They had to go out of their way in order to do this act of worship. You see, the main road that would normally take you north from from Bethlehem to Persia uh, would take you straight through Jerusalem. 
and that it would take you easily eastward to Syria. It's the route they used to get there. It was the common sense way. It was still cumbersome. It took many months. Traveling on camel, not the best way. But, um, but, um, but, you know, come on. And, and, but they're going to say, you know that really hard way we came that took months? We're going to go a lot longer and a lot farther. We're going to go all the way out of our way because we've been warned in a dream that Herod's going to try and harm the child. And so, given the large size of the Magi's entourage, traveling with soldiers and servants almost certainly as, as kingmakers in the ancient world, the Magi knew they couldn't approach Jerusalem without being noticed. And Herod knew that, and so Herod was waiting. Indeed, there was no major road that could take them home without having to pass through Jerusalem. And so, they took another route. That meant they had to travel far south to Hebron. And then they would have to go all the way to the coast in Gaza. And then they would have to go all the way up the coast where there's sort of a rugged non-road. It wasn't the way you took because it wasn't really a road. And then they would have to go to Capernaum. And then they would go on to Damascus. Friends, it is the most convoluted, out-of-your-way path. It is as far as you can go. It's south to the sea to up to over. They went out of their way to worship Jesus. Sometimes our worship of Jesus is going to make us put our brakes on our calendar as God has a divine appointment that rudely but inescapably barges onto our schedule. And so who gets... Does, do you run your calendar? Or does the Lord Jesus? Sometimes our worship of Jesus will make us shake off who we are. Well, I'm an introvert. It'll make us shake off our introversion in order to strike up a conversation with our server or our bank teller or that guy at the counter that gets us our tires so that we can show that person the love of Christ and in time a door might open for us to share the gospel of Christ. And we'll have to move beyond being chicken Christians and being bold and Christ-like. Now sometimes our worship of Jesus will make us go the extra mile to someone we would rather be miles away from. You thought of someone, didn't you? <laughs> Sometimes our worship of Jesus will make us pray for those who persecute us. Or it will challenge us to turn the other cheek instead of firing back that venomous retort that's rolling across the theater of our minds. I'm rarely at a loss for words. <laughs> Sometimes I'm at a loss for willpower. Sometimes our worship of Jesus will make us have a bit less time for our hobbies for our climb up the corporate ladder in 2019. For maybe even time for our, our children. <laughs> because the very nature of sacrificial worship, you know what? It necessitates a, a sacrifice. You can't have sacrificial worship that has no sacrifice. It's definitionally impossible. God's going to put you in a situation sooner than you imagine where he invites you to go out of your way to worship him this year. To those ends, let's pray. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us. You know that we are but dust. We ask that you would help us to continually marvel at the fact that you gently, lovingly direct us to Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. May we not be distracted May we not be disinterested, may we not be bored, but may we be enraptured in our worship more and more. May we pray for that 
Satan always causes for there to be a last-minute implosion, difficult to, to pour the Cheerios into and the snow boots onto our little people, and there's always a distraction when we come to church in a way that we don't tend to find when we're going to the, the ball game. But church, boy, that's always when something frictious happens. Lord, may we continually marvel at the fact that you lovingly direct us to Jesus. May we never take for granted that we have direct access to the throne of grace because of the shed blood of Christ. Help us to humble ourselves that we might esteem you. Help us to prune out the lesser that we might focus on you, the greater, our Savior. Lord, you are the vine dresser and we are the vines. And so we invite you to prune us for Jesus that we might become more fruitful in 2019 for your kingdom and your glory. Father, we have an example that you have given us. What an example you have given us in not sparing your one and only son that we might have eternal life. And Lord, as one who not only commands sacrifice, but as a deity who perfectly exemplifies sacrifice in sending Jesus, may we learn to worship you more cheerfully more intentionally, more sacrificially this year than, than ever in the past for your glory and our neighbor's good. Help us to worship according to all the facets of your glory. Round out our thinking in the areas that we have yet to understand your beauty. Show us wonderful things in your law this coming year that we might know you better, for this is eternal life, that we might know you Lord, give us the grace to go out of our way when it's appropriate that we might worship Jesus in that providential moment. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of Jesus. Would you please fill our hearts and homes with wonder and worship of him over these next few days as we pause to celebrate the birth of your son. Amen and amen. <laughs>